So our current theory is that Frank Gore needs regular sacrifices of the souls of other running backs mm, to keep devour the them. Youth, so keep yeah, young. Matt Jones is uh, like the love goddess in American Gods. Stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. Now, uh, National Sunday Newspaper Famous Podcast. <laughs> we, we are, yeah. Yeah, we're this here. week we're going to be covering off the greatest thing in the world, guys. Football is back. We're going to be looking at a review of week one, looking at all the news from around the league, and then doing some questions from you, the listener, our predictions for next week, and picking our games of the week as well. So, hey, we've got uh, Connor here, we've got Harry. Hey. And we've got Ronan. Hello dialed in from Cork because he went home after a four day bender up in Dublin uh, how are we getting on lads any crack yeah doing alright I just got over some uh, illness yesterday and Sunday and uh, being sick as, as you know you sort of uh, at a loose end and you know you have a computer and the internet and stuff and I made a really 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 disturbing discovery yeah and that's that uh, fidget spinner porn is real okay it's real and it's here is it like porn put on fidget spinners that is then like turned or is it like see, that would be- people doing things like like surely those things have very small holes to be used on any. F- yeah, so so uh, no, it's not that. It's, it's more like you know you have a, a butt plug and you attach a fidget spinner to it. Well, what about yourself? It's uh, any crack with yourself? Please don't tell me about another weird type of porn. I came up to Dublin for a relaxing weekend. Ended up staying up twice to around six a.m. Mm. Uh, so okay, work day. They're all like, "Oh, you enjoy your day off?" I'm like, "Yeah, it was great fun. Uh, not sure rested it was quite." Like, <laughs> Uh, so I suppose, lads, we've actually got an absolute ton to fly through this week, so we'll try and uh, get kicking off with some of the news. So, biggest news since we were talking last is probably the uh, Seattle trade. Seattle trade a second rounder and a seventh rounder, and Jermaine Curse for Sheldon Richardson and a seventh from the New York Jets. A seventh that will presumably be much higher up than their seventh one, but we'll see. Obviously, adds a lot of defensive power to the middle of that line, gives them a bit more penetration from there, as we saw this week. Uh, I'll come to you on this, Fitz. What's the big impact that this is going to make for you as a team? Yeah, so like it's kind of one of those underplayed issues because of Seattle, the the biggest uh, weakness, the offensive line is so obvious. And but one of the like more un- underrated kind of weaknesses of Seattle in recent years is that they've really struggled to create pressure up the middle. Now Michael Bennett has kind of had to do spot duty in there to try and do that on, on passing downs, but on base downs they've really just put in just some guys. Uh, and they drafted Malik McDowell in the second round this year. Obviously, looking at that, Malik McDowell got involved in that off-field incident uh, during the off-season. So they swung a big trade for Sheldon Richardson. It's really a one-year rental. And like from that perspective, it's either a case that he plays really well. Maybe they tried to find the money to, to, to kind of renew him. I don't know if that will be possible, but I'm sure they'll try. And Sheldon Richardson is someone who definitely will look for a lot of money. But even if it isn't that case... If he releases a free agency, they'll probably get a comp pick, maybe a third, uh, for the amount of money he looks like he could earn based on what we saw. And then they end up basically trading a second for a third rounder, albeit with like a two-year delay. It's- yeah, no, of course. The other big one, I suppose, that happened, if you want to call it big, is Kobe Brissett. The third-string quarterback for New England was traded to Indianapolis for wide receiver Philip Dorsett. Uh, this obviously cemented into place the worries that we were having around Andrew Luck and also provides another weapon to this New England offense. So, Harry, what do you make of this trade? Is this what you Are you happy with this, how it went down? Well, I mean, you know, we traded to get uh, Dorsett. Colts traded to get Brissett. Um, if, 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 both, if both parties are to be believed in <laughs> yeah, their no, that's it, statements. That's it. Um, look, it's okay. I mean, Dorsett is going to be, what, like the fifth wide receiver? Probably, mm. well, no, Amandola's concussed might be a bit higher up the rotation, but, like, Dorsett's a guy who didn't really pan out for the didn't really pan out for the Colts. He was a high pick two or three seasons ago and was just never really able to put it together. Brissett showed flashes but was not quite there, but the Colts sort of crisis, I think, precipitated this and in New England when uh, Edelman went down it was a case of look we need to get some kind of experience in here so it's not a huge amount of stuff like we already saw in the first game um, both guys in action obviously uh, Dorsett pressed into action not really knowing the playbook mm-hmm. when Amandola went down he didn't really do a whole lot and then Brissett uh, came on because the Colts were dying despite also not knowing the playbook he looked better than Scott Tolzien by virtue of not being Scott Tolzien yeah uh, there's a lot of other smaller trades going on uh, nothing huge mostly backup linemen or um, Cleveland traded a 29-7 round pick for Sammy Coates from Pittsburgh which is just uh, I guess that project's done in Pittsburgh now that they've got uh, Martavis Bryant back and stuff Next up, we're going to look at a couple of the extensions. There's been quite a few of these going around as it was kind of tail end of the year. Uh, 
start of people coming back trying to sort out uh, holdouts. Houston extend wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins five years, eighty one million, forty nine million guaranteed. Uh, tight end CJ Fedorowicz three years, twenty two million, ten year guaranteed, and their safety Andre Hall for three years, fifteen million. This is a lot of money locked up, and this is a team that I suppose we're just waiting to see whether they can finally get something out of their quarterback. This is DeAndre Hopkins considered one of the top end receivers in the league, but has had sacks of potatoes throwing to him for pretty much his entire career. Is this something that you think is a good move for them, or is this something they should have maybe waited until they had some more bits in place? Well, I think you've got to you, you have talent. You've got to lock it down. Like this team has seen production from DeAndre Hopkins with bad quarterbacks. Yes, he had a down year last season, but he has also succeeded with, with not exactly in not exactly stellar uh, stellar circumstances. Mm-hmm. So I think when you have a a talent like that, look, you kind of need to to take the necessary steps. It's a big contract, but for a guy who can produce like him. You know, ten million guaranteed a year isn't the most in the mm-hmm. league, so I think they should be reasonably happy with this. The other two are sort of just depth moves. I think you could probably argue Fedorovic is a bit overpaid, especially since he got concussed last week. Yeah, celebrate your along with along with the other two tight ends, ends yeah, on their was, roster. That was grim, and uh, this league has a problem. But like, they're solid moves from Houston. I, I I don't resent them. And I think if you want to give, if you believe in any of your quarterbacks, if you believe that any of your quarterbacks have a chance of succeeding, you have to give them weapons to give them a chance to succeed. Yeah. And that's why Hopkins, and to a lesser extent Fedorowicz, who's a fairly safe pair of hands if an unspectacular mm-hmm. tight end uh, were locked down here. So, like, I think it's a reasonable move from Houston. No, of course. Uh, Cincinnati also had Vontez Burfett three-year extension uh, for $36 million. What do you think of this fits? Uh, we, we know we hit the man, but do we like the signing? I'm not entirely pushing it, to be honest. Like, I can't deny Vontez Burfett is a really good linebacker. But right now, uh, like looking at what happened in week one to the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, you kind of get the feeling that that team, like the players like Vontaze Perfect, are indicative of a team that isn't really going to hold together. Like I have a really bad feeling that the Cincinnati Bengals at the end of the season are going to basically fall apart. But like based on pure talent, it seems like decent value. But I just have the feeling that the accumulation of people like Perfect uh, and Pacman Jones is going to really tell now it's really going to get people up the wrong way now that Cincinnati aren't guaranteed to be in the playoffs albeit not winning a game uh, so I think personally I don't think it's going to work out in the long term I think, I think I'm with you on that I think he might be getting to that point of being over the hill this locks him in for a while I'm not sure how much of this is guaranteed and this is not this would make sense if this is locking down a bit of seniority on your defence to help you push through when you're making a breakthrough this year I don't see them being in that spot especially after their zero point performance It'll help him cover the cost of some of his fines, though. That's true, that's true. Uh, the filthy bastard. Pittsburgh have extended Stefan to it. Five years, $60 million. Chicago, Akeem Hicks, four years, $48 million. And Miami, TJ McDonald, four years, twenty-four. Uh So do any of those jump out to you guys? Yeah, I think they're all basically solid contributors. I think TJ McDonald's probably the biggest surprise, considering his suspension. Uh, but obviously Miami's going all in that he is like the future at the safety position for them mm-hmm. um, and the other two are just yeah, solid contributors we also had like Brandon McManus Johnny Hecker and the Pittsburgh GM Kevin Colbert all kind of got extensions as well but to, 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 to continue on with Denver notable cuts TJ Ward was uh, cut and has now been picked up by Tampa Bay uh, Joe Hayden was cut by Cleveland and picked up by Pittsburgh and uh, the Brock Lobster uh, in possibly the most entertaining bit of offseason so He's now gone from being people being paid a second rounder to take him off their hands to now being cut and picked up by Denver, who wanted them initially for like a million, a million five a year less than what he was being paid on the contract that they then subsequently paid a second round pick to get rid of. Is now back to them, and now all they're paying him is the vet minimum. This is a strange one. We might see him play this year. So, which of these jumps out to you guys? Which one do you want to talk about? Like, I think like TJ Ward. Uh, I think we we're kind of expecting Joe Hayden cut to a certain extent. Or at least that he was going to get like moved in some capacity. I think TJ Ward. It's an interesting cut. I think like obviously he was a Pro Bowl player a few years ago, but I think the overall play in him is that he lost a step and that he was really just uh, like a like a run stuffing, hard hitting, strong safety now. And I think you know the Denver Broncos obviously they have a lot of play pieces they have to pay. And moving on from someone uh, as they decline is probably the smart move. Of course, like one that I'm going to target in is that uh, unfortunately Chicago have uh, since cut Robert Aguayo, so he's now gone through two teams. Although because they had him for two weeks, they have to pay him. I think all six hundred thousand or seven hundred thousand. Four hundred eighty thousand. Oh, four hundred eighty thousand. He's due fair enough. About half a million uh, that he's he's now guaranteed because of that. And uh, Jeremy Curley's gone back to the Jets. Like, is there is there any of the other ones, even the smaller ones? It's kind of jump out at you, Harry. Or yeah, well, I think the the, the Matt Jones thing is just. 
sad yeah. and funny and sad. He was the number one running back in Washington for about 10 minutes two years ago. Hmm. And uh, he was <laughs> signed by Indianapolis and then cut like two days later. And when you're getting, like as we saw on Sunday, if you're getting cut by the Indianapolis Colts, yeah. you're toast. Other uh, other big transitions happened. So Lev Bell and Aaron Donald went back to their teams after their holdouts, but Donald was too late, so it was inactive for the game. Bell says it was just to, to avoid injury because uh, he's... As we've discussed on the off-season a couple of times, uh, very interested in getting paid as if he was a WR instead of a YR or an RB. I find that a little hard to believe, given that he was, like, tweeting memes and uh, dropping, like, diss raps about the team's front office during that period. Yeah, uh, we had a number of injuries, unfortunately, in this first week, so we'll fly through a few of these. Uh, Kansas City lose Eric Berry, Achilles Tear gone for the season. This is obviously a huge hit to the team. He's part and soul of the defence, just got paid on the off-season. This means that he's gone, no real chance of return at all. They have some depth at the safety position, but no one's going to be anywhere near the quality that Eric Berry is, and they're not going to be able to afford to bring in someone else to kind of sit in that position. But um, there's not a huge amount that could be done there. Very unfortunate to be coming in, played at a great level on Thursday night, and then just went out with the injury. Jacksonville, Alan Robinson has torn his ACL and he's done for the season. This was eternally, as it always is, a potential breakout season for him and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Certainly looks it for their defence, but I don't think that he's missing out that much on this uh, final year of Blake Bortles, is he? No, I mean, look, Alan Robinson, it's a shame because he was far and away the best receiver on that team. But we even saw it last season after that initial breakout he had. But there there are issues surrounding the even the level of chemistry he has with Bortles mm-hmm. that initially seemed so absolutely electric in that in that uh, initial thing. I'm going to give you some some stats from the game, right? I think are fairly indicative of the situation. So the, the Jaguars beat the Texans 29 to seven, right? With their quarterback completing 11 of 21 passes for 125 yards and a touchdown, like. Yep. Not only is it like, good God, Alan Robinson, you do not want to be any part of that, but that is also, in fairness, an indication of just how poor Blake Bortles is without his best receiver. So while this sucks for Robinson, this is when the Jags come up against teams that like have an O-line and stuff. I don't think they're going to be able to get away with this level of play. Unfortunate for anyone who got a nice early draft pick in their fantasy league, David Johnson has uh, dislocated his wrist and he's gone for a minimum of eight weeks at the point that we're recording this. We're still only getting... Uh, clarification on that coming in but it seems to be minimum of eight weeks that he'll be gone for uh they've also lost uh, offensive tackle tj humphreys two to three weeks with an mtl sprain fits we're going to talk about this team in a minute uh when we get to the games but uh like this is this is a bad situation for a team that wasn't looking great this weekend no this is this is devastating for that offense like if you look at last season he was basically their orby one by a significant margin like he was basically the future of, or is the future of that offense because all the other major pieces are, as you probably know, are a bit old. And without him, the, like that team becomes so much less dynamic. It means that you don't have that uh, stacking of the box, which means that players like JJ Nelson or John Brown are open. I think the entire Arizona offense more pressure on Carson Palmer, more chance of injury, especially with the left tackle DJ Humphreys, albeit not a great left tackle. Uh, more chance of injury, more chance of this season devolving even further going forward. I think, you know, if you're talking about central offensive pieces in the NFL who aren't quarterbacks, David Johnson is probably up there in the top three or so. And I think that like this basically means that Arizona's like season is hanging by a thread. Yeah, no, of course. And then obviously, given how poor that their uh, that their quarterback play was, losing the uh, offensive tackle as well is not going to help because that means the safety valve, the running back, and the uh, and the tackle support are all gone for what looks like a very very old uh, quarterback. Other ones that we've had: uh, Miles Garrett, the first round pick for Cleveland Browns, is out with an ankle sprain. He was initially listed as multiple weeks, but has now since came out and said he's feeling great and is hoping to possibly get back next week I'd imagine they might hold him out for next week just to be sure we will discuss in a second the uh, the ongoing saga of Andrew Luck just to say as well we also had Danny Woodhead who is hamstring he's out indefinitely but no uh, to, 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 to focus in on the Indianapolis Colts so um, Andrew Luck uh, his shoulder is still at him we've been informed that it's at least one more game and it seems that they're kind of laying themselves in for a much longer run of things here has anyone actually seen Andrew Luck reach? like I'm not convinced Andrew Luck is alive I think like, he's been he's been down at the facility, but he hasn't been practicing. He hasn't been according thrown. to according to the Colts. Like I like, seriously, this is this is really weird and honestly really bad that they're not giving out information on this. We know that Luck played uh, two years essentially with an injured shoulder because the team doctors are as incompetent as everybody else in that organization. Yeah. 
Um, he went through an incredible amount of punishment because the team refused to get him an O-line. And now he is, for all intents and purposes, crocked until further notice, basically. Yep. Um, he's going through very, very slow rehab. It looks like the injury was very severe and then was obviously worn out. Like, two years not getting surgery is crazy no, when you're no not sense. an elite athlete. But it does also explain some of the limitations we saw coming oh, from that, it, it uh, does, especially but, later on in the season. You wonder then if, if like more long-term damage has been done. Like Two years not getting a, 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 like an injury like that operated on if you're not an elite athlete, if you're... If you're like reaching up to take things off the top shelf, like that's bad. Yeah, Let alone getting hit by three hundred pound. Absolutely. Men. So I just I don't understand what the Colts are trying to achieve here. I don't understand what the Colts are trying to achieve in anything uh, over the last few mm. years, to be honest. With you. But this is I'm really I'm actually genuinely worried that we might have seen the best of Andrew Luck already. Yeah. A quick write of a few of the other ones. Philadelphia, Ronald Darby is out for four to six weeks with a dislocated ankle. Stefan Tuitt is week to week. Seems, as we were saying, it's not a good time to sign a contract. <laughs> uh, Orlando Scandrick has his hand injured at least one to two games. Ruben Foster, high ankle sprain about a month. Uh, New Orleans has Zach Streif, uh, MCL sprain in a couple of weeks. Jankowski, his back, so he's gone off to IR. So I think that's potentially him done for the season. Uh, Kevin White has once again fractured his shoulder blade and is gone for the season. This kid has played, what, five games in three years or something? And I don't think he's finished out any of them. New England dodged a high tower, minor MCL sprain, probably just a game. Danny Amendola concussion, so we're not sure. And then Cyrus Jones, ACL out for the season. He was a special team specialist and backup cornerback. Fucking special. Yeah, um, Houston have uh, Brian Cushing out with a concussion, Cede Fedorowicz and Ryan Griffin all on concussion, and I believe another tight end on concussion as well. Uh, it's looking good for their concussion. Oh, and, uh, and um, Bruce Ellington as well is also Bruce concussing. Ellington, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. And uh, Detroit, uh, Casey Redfern, torn ACL and MCL gone for the season. Uh, Detroit are now on to their third punter of this season so we'll move on to the next part crime and punishment what are you going to do probably felonies Ziggy Elliott's suspension saga continues uh, he has, he won his restraining order battle so that they wouldn't be able to make him uh, start his ban and we go on and potentially not in week two uh, the NFL have now filed to appeal and we are awaiting the result of this appeal basically they found that it's okay for them to to impose this on him and that he didn't have to have the appeal that he was after, but then this is a delaying tactic, so they're saying that the six weeks is valid, but he is trying to push it back further and further to potentially challenge it in federal court. New Orleans wide receiver Willie Sneed has been given a three-game ban for his DOI incident in the offseason. Uh, free agent Josh Brown has been given a six-game suspension, so he won't be playing any of the games he's not like, currently playing. This is so weird. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's like, yeah, let's just spend him six games for domestic violence a year after we were meant to do it. And spend, like, what the fuck was this yeah. about? Like I, I was pretty certain he's essentially retired from the league now, unless someone goes on to like their fifth kicker or something. Yeah, but it's it? like if you sign him, then you have to take on the suspension. I assume. Yeah, like it, like it just makes no yeah, sense this at all. Is so weird. Like yeah. it's just, ugh. I don't know. And uh, Vontas Burfitt, who we mentioned, got an extension earlier. The suspension reduced to three games from five. Well, there's one thing I didn't mention here. I don't know if you saw this. It's quite recent. Um, so Michael Irvin, the former wide receiver. Yeah. Uh, who is a analyst for NFL Network is currently has been accused of as we mentioned this actually last season quite some time ago as rumours of sexual assault were swirling oh, right, yeah. the NFL is uh, actually investigating him, him now. even is. though he's because he's still obviously involved in the league, mm-hmm. even though he's no longer a player, he's no longer a star. Which is interesting, I didn't realise they could do that. Um, does he Does he do any part-time work for NFL Network? He might do, or yeah, it could, it could be to do with that, but that was interesting. And also, yeah, the, the stuff I've been reading about that is really, really, really unpleasant, and he seems like a... Real horrible yeah, person, yeah. Yeah, Party basically, times. scumbag. Yeah, so those are our roundup of the scumbags of the week. Crime punishment, what are they going to do? Probably felonies. Uh, other bits of news, uh, Michael Bennett had a police incident in Las Vegas. Fitz, do you want to tell us a bit about this? Yeah, so uh, on the same night as the McGregor uh, fight that happened a few weeks ago, uh, Michael Bennett uh, was in a club, and then there was an incident where uh, gunshots, well, well, they ended up not being gunshots, but it was suspected it was gunshots, and obviously in that situation everyone evacuated because America. Uh, and in the ensuing scramble, the police singled him out, and he basically had a quite a elongated altercation. Uh, Michael Bennett made some accusations that, that basically they threatened to kill him unless he, you know, stood still because he's black. And then they found until they found out, you know, he was a rich American football player called Michael Bennett. At which point they suddenly became a lot more cooperative uh, and they, they let him go. Sounds so right. They, 
So the Las Vegas Police Department uh, like strenuously denied Michael Bennett's accusations, uh, which he like Michael Bennett gave a, a fairly long uh, statement or like a page long statement on it uh, publicly. And they, you know, Las Vegas Police Department's like, but fuck this guy, uh, basically, and also fuck the protests at the national anthem because you know that's a thing right now. Uh, and basically, it's kind of turned into a bullshit thing. And the NFL had to basically tell the uh, Las Vegas Police Department, no, we're not going to suspend Michael Bennett for using his constitutionally protected right to say what actually happened to him in police custody. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, fuck the Las Vegas Police Department. Uh, very, you know, it's a good omen, I suppose, for when... It's a good way, it's uh, good, it's a good way to start, given the type of like incidents they're probably going to have to deal with Raiders players. Like, Yeah, oh, like if Marshall Lynch somehow managed to still be playing, then I'm sure that could... <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, it, it seems like you know it's hard to ignore that because obviously uh, this week uh, on the TV broadcast there has been claims that the the TV broadcast deliberately basically showed massive American flags over as much of the national anthem protests as possible to ensure that you know we're not reminded of pesky things like racism or police brutality and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so go America yeah. and all that. Yeah, it's it's bas- it's 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 a rough ass spot. Thankfully, there was no kind of great injury or anything that came out of it but it is it is quite a worrying indicator towards how a lot of shit is going in america these days fun times the only other one then that uh we'd have in this kind of miscellaneous news section is so the tampa bay miami game was uh, pushed back because of the storms so it's now been moved to week 11 so we're going to do uh same as we did last year guys we're going to have a uh, ring of honor neutral zone and the dumpster fire uh so we'll just have a look and see what we kick off with this week i think we're gonna have to go with thursday night football kansas city at new england the thursday night game a 42 27 win for the chiefs uh 21 unanswered fourth quarter points uh gave the chiefs a big upset here good performances from uh the rookie hunt who had 148 yards rushing and a touchdown and 98 receiving and two touchdowns tyree kill seven for 133 and a touchdown and alex smith bizarrely being like the top fantasy play quarterback this year <laughs> this, this this week 28 to 35 for an 80 percent completion rate 368 yards four touchdowns zero interceptions and a smattering of uh, of moves on the ground damian andola had a nice game six for 100 yards and uh, cooks in his opening game uh showed the kind of breakout speed you'd be hoping to see from him so he had three for 88 this was a hard fought game right down to the end uh, unfortunately as we mentioned earlier an injury to eric berry uh, so I'll come to you first on this, Fitz. Uh, this is obviously a strong start from Kansas City, a very different from what we were expecting. The defense looked good, but the offense actually looked strong. Uh, can this continue, this new offense and stuff, or or is this maybe just a, we give Andy Reid long enough to scheme, he just comes up with something, and we're going to see something different again next week? Like I first must say that it's a wonderful world where the three early contenders for MVP are... Alex Smith, Sam Bradford, and Jared Goff. Yeah, <laughs> what a time to be alive. <laughs> Generic white guys for life. But no, yeah, like Kansas City, there was a lot of question marks going into this game, and I think we can comprehensively say they answered them. Now, obviously, the one question that came out of it is what will they do in the absence of Eric Berry, as we talked about earlier. But based on what we saw in this game, I think Kansas City is well on to compete in what looks like another, like, you know, absolute dogfight in the AFC West. I think what was most impressive was that Alex Smith leaned into the complete change in the identity of the offense due to the offseason acquisitions. So obviously you go from uh, a team which was built around Spencer Ware and Jerry Macklin, who kind of like savvy veterans, kind of possession type players, and you move to Kareem Hunt, an exciting rookie running back, and uh, Tyreek Hill, like a really exciting like player, a gadget player, uh, like a player who can go fast, like a player who can play quick, like basically Taven Austin, if he was good, basically. Um, <laughs> what was great was to see Alex Smith lean into that, doing his best Cheryl Sandberg impression, getting in there and actually taking advantage of that. It looked like he wasn't afraid to pass the ball down the field, make big plays, and I think that turnaround is a great news for Kansas City. I think it makes them a lot more dynamic as an offense and gives them that kind of change like from being a team which kind of grinds out wins closely to being a team that can genuinely contend in every game. Because I think right now with its offensive identity, you're looking at a team that can come back 
when things get tougher uh, down the field, and they did come back in this game, and who can show a bit more bite. I think it was good. Like, like I'll let you talk more about the defense, but I think based on what we saw, the defense is where we think it is. I think the addition of Justin Houston can elevate this defense to being like one of the top uh, three units in the AFC this year. Yeah, no, of course. Like it was, it was nice to see, as we said, some of the keys we said to the game last week came through. Of we saw Justin Houston was at. Maybe not 100%, maybe 90%, but him at 90% allowed a bit more free-firing from D Ford on the far side. And realistically, the thing that I thought was most impressive for me was the offensive line held up quite well, which gave Alex Smith a little bit more time, which made him a little bit more comfortable. I'd be afraid to see if he comes, if, 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 if that uh, falters any further in any of the other games, if he starts to get the yips and starts to look for those slightly more underneath routes again rather than taking the time to, to go further downfield. But uh, Harry, onto the onto the New England Patriots in this one. Like there was some defensive indiscipline, especially at the back end of the game. Now, part, probably a large part of that was from Hightower missing time in this. This is obviously a team that has historically started slowly sometimes and gets some early yips as it tries to work out what its identity is and how all the pieces mix together. Like realistically, it was a good performance. I don't know if there's really anything to get too worried about here. Is there? I think there is. To be honest with you. Like, in full credit to Kansas City, who I, I was looking through the stats trying to find a single thing we won at. And I was like, ooh, maybe punting. No, we lost the punting. As well. I, well, no, your punt coverage was excellent. They only averaged three and a half yards on we punt did. coverage. We did. Our kickoff, our kickoff coverage was brutal. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we did well because we didn't have our two best special teams players and they cut the third best one. Hmm. But no, um, the big concern there is, as you say, the, the loss of, of, of Donta Hightower. Like, we traded two picks for Cassius fucking Marsh. That was one of the worst performances I have ever seen now admittedly yes he wasn't playing in his natural position but holy fuck we had one middle linebacker who we were playing as an edge rusher for half the game yep. we have no linebackers we have one pass rusher um, it, it, it's really concerning the lack of depth in that position like Kyle Van Noy had to move outside when Hightower got done which meant Marsh had to move into the middle which was just a disaster because Cassius Marsh wasn't very good and constantly so many of Kansas City's uh, points came in the fourth quarter after Hightower was gone you can't make excuses for the way the offense collapsed based on that. And that's a thing. That's what you say. That's a slow start. That's, that yeah. works itself out. But I am very, very worried about the lack of depth in that linebacking core, the lack of depth in that front seven, to the point now where people are talking about Rob Ninkovich coming back. And yeah, yep. I, I take Rob Ninkovich coming back for all his limitations because we just had so many problems. And I, I, we also saw, like, I'm a little concerned about the O-line, like, um, D Ford. Obviously, it was like, oh, Justin Houston. Justin Houston... Mm-hmm. As the game came on, Justin Houston grew more and more into it. But at the start, D Ford was having his way with our left tackle. And yeah. that's really worrying. Like we Brady is 40. Brady can still move around the pocket well, but he's not got escapability. He never has had, he definitely doesn't now. You need tackles that can stand up against the pass rush. And yes, Kansas City is an elite pass rush, but when you get to the playoffs, you're gonna have to beat elite pass rushes. Yeah. And it's such a fetchy thing to be like, oh, what happens when we get to the playoffs? Because you will get to the playoffs, your entire division is tanking, and that's fine. But look, if you're the New England Patriots, the target is always to at least go to the Super Bowl. That's the mm-hmm. that's the team they are. That's the culture they have, and it worries me that this team suddenly has been exposed as being a lot shallower than it was. So next up, we got the neutral zone: uh, Steelers at the Browns, twenty-one eighteen to the Steelers. This is the first time we believe in the history of the podcast the Browns have not been featured in the dumpster <laughs> fire. So congratulations. While not a surprising result, it was a very surprising route to it. Deshaun Kaiser looked good in his opening game, 20 of 30 for 222 yards, one touchdown, one interception, and one rushing touchdown. Uh, now, he was sacked seven times, uh, but like you know, he looked pretty good, shook it off, and was ready to go. Hit eight different targets, got an eight-point conversion, closed the game pretty well. Ran it very close. Pittsburgh were shaky. Uh, Le'Veon Bell, 10 carries for 32 yards. Brown got a lot of yardage, 11 for 182, and was basically the life and soul of this offense, but didn't get any touchdowns. They all went to the tight end, so he had six receptions, 41 yards, two touchdowns. Now, it was a blocked punt uh, for the, that gave the first score to Pittsburgh uh, at the beginning. One is going to feel a bit annoying for the Browns, but realistically has to make them feel quite happy because the difference in this game was three points. If they hadn't had a special teams error, like they were winning this game. So I'm going to come to you first on this one, Harry. Was this just the Browns stepping up in a spot where there was no tape on this guy because he's a new rookie, they've got a lot of changes made, or is this something they can build on? Because this was without even their first round rookie playing, and they looked very good against what is considered a contender up in this AFC. Yeah, I think you know. a few weeks later we'll know, uh, much like with Carson Wentz last season, 
whether or not it is just the lack of tape and a new style of playing, throwing opponents off, or, or whether Kaiser is, is legit. It is worrying that he was sacked seven times. He lost 42 yards on those sacks mm-hmm. as well, which is, you know, you want to protect this guy. And I yeah. said it before, that there's a risk of him getting hurt here. And But he seemed like, he, like I said, he, he played through it. It wasn't a great performance from Cleveland. Like, Cleveland should have won because mm-hmm. of that block punt and because the way the game ended was just so Cleveland. Like, they did the sort of the high kick rather than taking it on side to try and get the ball back and then like what happened gave up a 38 yard pass which was like Ben Roethlisberger doesn't understand clock management yeah. um, and then Le'Veon Bell basically in, on the critical play which would have basically been like Pittsburgh need to get a first down or they will have to, to punt it here um, Le'Veon Bell who they contained to something like 17 yards the rest of the game get a 15 yard run yeah. and, and end the game so pretty heartbreaking but they weren't good like they converted 25% of their third downs um, Kaiser looked okay, but wasn't doing anything special, which is pretty, as good as you can expect from a rookie thrown into a position where he wasn't expecting to be starting. The run game was awful, although not as bad as Pittsburgh's, but I'm, I'm sure uh, Ronan will cover that off. But there's hope now. Like, Kaiser looked okay. This is good. Cleveland haven't drafted a quarterback who looked okay for a long, long time. Yep. So there's some hope there. And I think the real thing that's hope that gives them hope is the defense. The defense played fantastically. And a lot of it was the younger players who they've been bringing up over the last... You know, two, three years, and maybe we are seeing, as much as we've mocked it, maybe we are seeing the benefits of this money ball thing they've been doing, of the system, or the process, rather, uh, with Sashi Brown actually start to bear fruit. Like, when you look at the guys who were who were making plays on defense, like um, the, the young fella Peppers had a, had a mm-hmm. great game, um, four tackles in a pass defense, uh, Schobert, uh, I think he's a second-year middle linebacker, uh, nine combined tackles. Like, this is this is good. And it's surprising because a lot of these, you know, it's like, oh, Kim's just going to throw stuff, a load of picks at the wall and see if any of them come good. That might work. Sometimes, you know, that you play the numbers in your favor. You draft a load of young guys, see who's going to benefit you and see who isn't. And we saw some step up today. And if they can continue that for the rest of the season, yeah, Cleveland aren't going to be good yet. I think we can agree that they're, they're some distance from being that. But this is a team that might play teams close, will play teams hard and be tough to beat. Was this potentially, uh, Fitz, was this possibly a game that they were looking past rather than actually prepared for? They thought, this is, you know, this is Cleveland, this is our opening game, what we really want to do is focus on who we're playing next, we'll be fine in this spot, and then just got caught out? Like, or is this something that you'd be more worried about being a kind of problem for them later on in the season? Yeah, I think there's definitely a sense that, like, Cleveland, quite likely that Rugglesberger can get that win, that means he's now the winningest quarterback in Cleveland since they like came back into the league you know there's a lot of moving pieces in, in the Pittsburgh Steelers over the last couple of weeks obviously Lev Bell's holdout seems to have an effect I don't know if that's due to Lev Bell looking ineffective or to a certain extent the game plan to move away deliberately from to kind of teach him a lesson against Cleveland and obviously you have uh, Joe Hayden coming in in short term kind of mixing up that secondary significantly uh, but at the end the defense came together we know that the core pieces that they've been building over the last few years have started to mature and become elite players. When you look at players like Shazir, when you look at players like Hayward, uh, to it, these are players who have ascended and become the like the bedrock on which there is a potentially new dominant Steelers defense emerging. Then obviously you see TJ Watt managing to make plays in his in his debut, and that's obviously incredibly encouraging for that defense. So I think the defense is where we thought it was. It's a good defense. Uh, the only question is if it's going to be a great defense or not this year, uh, and the early indications are good there. Uh, even though Deshaun Kaiser had some, you know, pretty pretty good moments, he, he was under a lot of pressure during it. Uh, I think that says more to the the quality and the potential of the rookie than it does to the to, to the, the, the the defense. On the offense, on a day in which Bell uh, fell down and Roethlisberger looked a bit ropey, Antonio Brown came to the rescue basically. And when Antonio Brown plays well, it's hard to stop the Steelers over the entire 60 minutes and I think that's what came true in the end uh, for this team and like the interesting thing is like Jesse James made a few contributions but Martavius Bryant was really kind of anonymous so obviously against better teams they're going to bracket on Brown so I think we're going to have to see if these other pieces uh, on the passing attack can really step up Uh, so it's worrying for Steelers but I think considering all of the things that have happened over the last few weeks in terms of Bell Hayden bringing in new pieces I wouldn't like hit the panic mode anyway. Anyway, they got the win. That's the most important thing. 
next game yeah no of course uh, like that was one that we were kind of borderline between should that be dumpster fire and you're just like eh, both teams were kind of half good half bad and uh, come on Cleveland this is believe land you get to get out of the dumpster fire as we climb right back into it and say hello to Arizona at Detroit uh, 23 to 35 this was a messy mistake prone game where need, I think both sides were just constantly trying to lose it to be honest uh, it was 17 to 15 entering the fourth quarter there was four interceptions three fumbles only two sacks the highest rusher in the entire game was was uh he had 30 yards on 15 carries averaging two yards a carry golden tate was safe hands but only averaged 10 yards a catch galladay was a surprise big circus catches two tds and david johnson obviously got injured yeah like there's a lot wrong with this game i'm gonna leave to you guys whenever i kind of come to you on each team so uh i'm gonna come to you first ronan on this i said it going into the season like Arizona's window is potentially closed. They had one touchdown to three in this game for Palmer. His main weapon is hurt, as we mentioned earlier. They look sluggish. They weren't getting separation down the field. Is this now looking like confirmation that their their time was two years ago and not now? And this needs to have a bit of a blow up on the offense, especially given that this is looking like a season where they're going to be missing their offense in the form of one running back for most of the year. Yeah, I think that that's pretty much uh, the diagnosis of this team. Carson Palmer looks past it. He looks like he can't throw the ball down the field anymore with accuracy and zip. He looks like his decision making is questionable under like under duress with the offensive line still looking a bit ropey. There's just nothing to see there. Even Larry Fitzgerald, it, it looked obvious that he'd lost a step even over last season. He looked sluggish when he got the ball. He's still, a, he's still a great player. He's a Hall of Fame player, so he can still make plays, but it's obviously just doesn't have that breakout speed to really turn the game around. So that offense right now looks like a complete dumpster fire, more or less. Uh, and without David Johnson, it, like you're really struggling to see where they're going to get production. Like Kerwin Williams, it, like that is probably not the answer to that question. Uh, like maybe they'll bring back Chris Johnson again for some reason. And like you know, when you think about like John Brown, he's expected to have a good like a good uh, season this season, and he didn't really look that good. And JJ Nelson managed to have some production, but also managed to make a few boneheaded drops as well. So you're kind of looking over that offense. You're kind of like, what are the kind of upcoming pieces that we can build around besides David Johnson? And the answer is very few. Uh, and while the defense has some interesting pieces themselves, they have Chandler Jones, obviously, they have the Honey Badger, it's not, uh, and they got some rookies in there, it's not the case that the defense was dominant, they did get eventually dominated in this game by a Detroit Lions offense, which is okay, but it's an offensive line missing their like franchise left tackle, you know, they really didn't show much in the secondary in particular, which we did highlight before the season, that outside Patrick Peterson, who is going to like cover the other wide receivers so for me the Arizona Cardinals looked like a bit of a mess yeah like I I, I know what you mean like it's just it's just that thing if it just feels like we kind of saw this might potentially happen and it's just happening a little bit earlier than we thought it was going to uh, Harry in terms of the Lions this is another fourth quarter comeback for them which is kind of their signature move from last year but really if you look at the numbers it shouldn't have had to have been like they were facing a team that had 45 yards total rushing and threw three interceptions like the fact that this was like their their running game looked soft, their their defense didn't look great, their decision making didn't look optimum. Like I was very hard pressed when I was looking back over this game, what to make of this Lions team, what they are, how to define them, outside of being lucky that the defense got tired in the fourth quarter. Yeah, well the Lions are once again a big old pile of what the fuck like. I mean <laughs> Three quarters of absolute dreck, and then the offense catching fire in the fourth quarter. Like, how many times did you see that last year? I don't know if it particularly was that the um, Cardinals got tired. The Lions did dominate the time of possession, so there was certainly an aspect of that. But at the end of the day, this team has so much talent, and it really does have so much talent, that they can do things like this and it's about how do you find consistency so you're not making everyone sit through 45 minutes of awful, awful football. Because you look at it, right? It's about figuring out how to use their weapons. Because look, firstly, okay, like David Johnson did get hurt, right? But credit the Lions' run defense which held them to 23 yards on 11 carries. Like, that's really good. Their pass defense was all over the shop and was made to look good by Palmer throwing three absolutely Mm. terrible interceptions and Stafford had an absolutely terrible interception of his own. 
but then was able to able to pull it back at the end. So it's like, what do you do? But it's about how do they take advantage of this? Amir Abdullah does not look good. Dwayne Washington does not look good. Uh, Theo Riddick, as a runner, had one carry for a loss of a yard. Like, the, the, the run game, okay, how do you figure that out? And the passing game, it's like, TJ Jones isn't good. He could he got two catches, he couldn't get open all day. Marvin Jones had two very nice catches at the start of the game and then just disappeared for the remainder of it. Um, Kenny Galladay is is fascinating. Like, this is really interesting. And, like, if he continues to perform like that, like, he outplayed Marvin. He played the pants off Marvin Jones mm-hmm. today. And you wonder if he could end up being the, basically being the X receiver guy, the go-to guy. So I'm looking forward to seeing how the Lions uh, ruin his career over the next yeah. few years and never win anything with him. But does he retire to the age of 26? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Well, that's <laughs> it. Like, it's, it's just weird that this team is capable of playing so well in brief spurts and capable, honestly of over 15 minutes outplaying any team in the league, but can just disappear for so, so long. Mm. And unless they can actually figure out how to put the piece together and how to come up with a game plan beyond, ah, fuck, we're trailing, let's let Stafford just go nuts and see what happens, Mm. (laughs) they're not going to be able to consistently beat opponents. So I, I don't know if it comes down to the coaching or what, but... They need to find a way to actually take advantage of what they have and not just get themselves stuck in a position where they're being they were like being outplayed by a very poor Cardinals team. Uh, we're going to swing on from there and we're going to take a quick question from you, the listener. So this one comes in from Charles K. He says, uh, "Now we've got week one in the books. What trades do you think teams should target?" So basically, looking for ones that would make sense that uh, teams might uh, look into doing now that they've seen where some of their deficiencies might be. So, uh, do you want to kick us off there, Fitz? Yeah. So, so this is a reactionary trade. It's in reaction to the news that we've talked about a lot just there and in the news section. Um, so, I think that when you lose a hero, the only solution is a legend. So, I believe that the Arizona Cardinals should pick up the phone ring Chris, uh, Chris Ballard in Indianapolis and say, we'll give you a mid-round pick for Frank Gore. Ooh. Because if you're going to go Ooh. down, you might well go down in the most Bruce Arians way possible with grizzly veterans who've seen it all. And obviously Arians has so much experience with Frank Gore from that time in Indianapolis. This is the type of offense where you have basically three like long of the two players. What can we get out of it? And what you're really pushing there, I pointed out in the in the news section is like Arizona is looking to get to David Johnson being back with some chance of getting to the playoffs because all of these people have so little like they have so little time left Larry Fitzgerald Carson Palmer Bruce Arians that bringing in Frank Gore is a perfect poetic fit for that and I think Frank Gore is the type of running back whose head won't go down who will keep grinding out those yards who will keep running even behind a bad offensive line which he has been behind in, the, in Indianapolis for a while now and I think that's exactly what Arizona read it out now do I think it will work do I think it will do it reach its objective I'm not really sure but I think it's the best chance that they have at a reasonable price that doesn't mortgage the future if they're going to go out in one blaze of glory, they might as well do it with a hard-nosed running back who's seen it all, like Frank Gore. And maybe even we could see the fairy tale story in Arizona that we saw for Court Warner back in the day. Not pro- not likely, but who knows? Yeah, no, of course. I think that one that's one that could make a lot of sense, uh, especially with them seeming to... Well, if they decide to actually start challenging and ensuring they get touchdowns for their for their other running backs whenever they get over the goal line, then maybe they can afford to lose their uh, legendary Frank Gore. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Right, so what I'm going to go for on my trade is, having watched with, uh, with, with Fitz and Harry on the weekend, how atrocious the, uh, the Seahawks offensive line is, uh, but also how much speed and success they were getting from their outside receivers and from, from some of their young running backs who can also catch the ball a bit. How about they almost reverse the trade they did beforehand? They go to the Cleveland Browns, who didn't have great success protecting their, uh, their, their new quarterback there, and say, right, we want Joe Thomas... And in response, we will give you Jimmy Graham as a quick, easy out for your quarterback to go to so he doesn't have to hold on to the ball so much. Now, depending on how the salary works out, you can either package that with a fifth or sixth round pick to kind of give it a little bit of balance. Or realistically, if they want to stack the line, why not send someone like Fat Eddie up there to work as an extra blocker? That could work out just fine. And it's also perfect make weight, I think, because then you can have a really light initial part. Um, But yeah, basically reverse the trade with the New Orleans Saints. You need to protect your quarterback now. He's got enough. He's good enough at getting 
spreading to the outsides to his to to his external players. He doesn't have as much of a requirement for a big inside tight end. He does need protection. Just follow through that way. What about yourself, Harry? Do you have one on this? Yeah, I do. Um, actually, with the O line, you could have said the same about Cincinnati or Houston or Indianapolis yeah, or any of these true. teams. Um, no, I originally was going to talk about the O line, but I'm not going to. So here's one that's going to be a bit weird. It doesn't involve an O line, but it's not the main thing. I think New England mm-hmm. need to get on to uh, New England South, aka the Houston Texans. Yeah. Get a bit of the old mates rates going. Throw either Ted Karras or Adrian Waddle, serviceable backup linemen who are still better than what Houston have. Mm-hmm. And as high a pick as they need to, and I mean as high a pick as they need to, for Whitney Merciless. Interesting, yeah. Houston have a million pass rushers. They can live without Merciless. They, they can live without him. He's an important part of that team. But they have other talent there. What they don't have is anything on the O-line. Even getting some solidity and then getting a future pick, which they're probably going to need, let's face it. Because yeah. I think, based on this, this is not going to be Houston's year. This is going to be the start of a rebuild around mm. a young quarterback. To be, fair, them, to be fair, we'll see how bad next week's game well, yeah, is. I mean, he might, he might die. He might actually die. Um, but we'll see. Give them that building block, potential building block to the future and something that can at least try and keep their project quarterback alive for 17 mm-hmm. games and say, right, we need a pass rusher we need an elite pass rusher. We need a guy who can play in the role that that, that we saw Hightower have to play out as the rush, pass rushing linebacker mm-hmm. this season, uh, this first game. Move him back into the middle and have a guy like Whitney Merciless who can bring an elite level of disruption, which New England have struggled to do really for quite a while, yeah. to actually provide some real outside pressure on, on O-lines. And I think, you know, if New England want to do it, if New England want to win the Super Bowl, you have to make sacrifice. You have to make big plays. You take a guy like that who is proven, who could also cover over the middle if, say, a guy like Hightower were to get hurt again, can play in the middle if needs be, and can cover guys, mm-hmm. can cover tight ends down the field, isn't going to leave a massive gap. I think you go for broke. If you think this is a Super Bowl year, if you think Tom Brady is going to run out eventually at some point of gas, which yeah. he is, you need to give all the help you can to this team's defense. And that's where you need to say, right, we're going to give up something big, for a guy who we know can get it done. We know they're not afraid to do it. We know they did it for Brandon Cooks. Mm-hmm. Let's do it on the defense. Yeah. Fuck it. We'll give up a second round pick and a lineman for Whitney Merciless. Yeah, no, that sounds good. I think the interesting one is if you, like Nate Solder, what a, would you consider that maybe as a as a more even trade? I, I would consider that to be a, a, as a straight swap. Yes, the problem is we don't, the reason I suggested one of the other guys is because we don't have a backup left tackle really, like Ladrian Model. So, yeah. So um, that's perfect. I uh, hope that answers your question. We'll probably have a few interesting ones by the end of it that we'll be reporting over the next couple of weeks anyway. So on to our uh, preview for week two. Okay, so uh, we're going to try and fly through these nice and quickly. Uh, where we have a disagreement, I'll just come to you for a line each on why you think it's going to go that way. So uh, first game up is probably the worst game of the schedule for next week. Houston at Cincinnati. Uh, I've gone Houston. Fitz has gone Houston. Harry, you said D. Lyman, which is probably correct. Uh, I believe for D. Lyman you're going with Cincinnati? Um, just about. Yes. Yeah. Cool. So why Cincinnati? Because uh, they're at home. Both these teams are terrible. Like... This, this is a coin flip, essentially, for me. I feel that of the two teams, and they both looked downright inept, I think Cincinnati are at least in a position where they kind of know their offense. They kind of know what they're doing on that side of the ball. Houston are bringing in, going to be rolling with a quarterback who doesn't really know the playbook, who doesn't really know mm-hmm. the system, who we've seen has to run so many bootlegs just to stay alive, um, who looked really good sort of for one drive, except that he also had a pick overturned by a penalty flag, but whatever. And I think when it comes down to it, it's good. the game is going to suck. It's going to be like 80 sacks in this game. Like, this is going to be the fucking David Carr Memorial game. Oh, yeah. This is going to be brutal. But I think the experienced team at Breaking home, fantasy yeah. advice. Start either of these defenses. Yeah, basically, yes. <laughs> uh, I think at home, the more experienced team just has the edge mm. for me. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Fitz, why uh, Houston? Uh, like, I think... I don't disagree with Harry on everything, but... Uh, like for me personally, the Houston line is superior, and I think the Houston defense is probably you know could be as good as the Baltimore defense. Although the Baltimore defense has more upside probably, and I think it's just going to wreck that offensive line, which looked absolutely terrible. And for me personally, like the Baltimore Ravens last week played a pretty one-dimensional offensive game and still managed to grind out those yards and get and like actually do pretty well. Like the Houston offensive line is pretty bad. 
but I didn't really see anything that Cincinnati defense that they immediately believe that they're anything more than mediocre at the moment. Uh, and with that, I think Deshaun Watson will reinvigorate that offense and do enough to win out, which will not be a good game. Fair no TJ Yates, no chance. <laughs> oh, Next up, we've got uh, Buffalo at Carolina. Again, eh. uh, we've gone Carolina across the board. Basically, their offense looked a bit slow to start, but hit one or two good moments in it. As long as they stop just trying to force Christian McCaffrey down our throats the whole time, because I'm getting fucking sick of that shit already. Uh, also, Buffalo are a dog shit team. Uh, next up, we have Chicago at Tampa Bay, the Glennon revenge game. Uh, we've gone Tampa Bay across the board in this one, even though Chicago ran the last game close. Why is that, Harry? Now, this is technically my pick of the week, I guess, because I didn't fill in a pick of the week and just wrote Glennon's revenge next <laughs> to this game. So I guess I'll take this as my pick of the week. Um, this is really interesting because we haven't seen Tampa Bay play, so we don't really know what they're going to uh, look like this season. Mm-hmm. But this is them coming in. Then Basically, they'll have had to have scrapped the, the game plan they were preparing for week one is, is out the window now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like they're even going to have that sort of advantage of being first game, although they will be a bit fresher. Uh, against Chicago team who ran around the Atlanta Falcons pretty close like their defense looked we, we thought the defense was going to be okay but it actually looked actively good in that game which was very very surprising and they gave Atlanta an awful lot of headaches and we see now that Chicago have weapons which is weird now they lost Kevin White but Kevin White was never doing anything like Jordan Howard had another solid enough game running the ball but when they fell behind Tarek Cohen the rookie came out of absolutely yeah. nowhere and was like hey you know you've all been talking about the second coming of Darren Sproles which is really weird because Darren Sproles is still playing but whatever this guy might be it like he is tiny and fast and moves really well and tore the Falcons a new one yeah. over the course of that game so what makes this interesting is and Tampa who have questions over the health of their middle linebackers at the moment and we're still not sure if, uh, if, if Quan Alexander is going to even make it for this game is suddenly finds itself against a team that might have a genuine uh, I suppose thunder and lightning combination in mm-hmm. the backfield which is, does a huge amount to take the pressure off a guy like Mike Glennon and we saw that against Atlanta when he had an outlet when he had a guy who he could hand it off and you would be able to reliably run between the tackles and also had a guy who he knew was going to be able to make plays out of the backfield both the ball in hand and as a pass catcher by being able to outspeed our linebackers, suddenly this matchup looks a whole lot more interesting than it would have done when oh, we were looking yeah, at it two weeks time. ago. And on the other hand, side, you've got Tampa Bay with that you know that deep threat receiving core against a a Chicago Bears uh, defense that suddenly looked again decent enough against the Atlanta Falcons. And yes, had some problems and did give up some deep plays, which is concerning. So this could actually be a really really fun game. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of looking forward to seeing it. I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how this Tampa Bay offense looks. Uh, and I'm kind of looking forward to see if the Chicago Bears can continue playing, uh, you know, adventurous, exciting mm-hmm. football, although the head coach doesn't necessarily inspire me that we're going to keep seeing this. Yeah, but it um, is it is one of those. It looks yeah. like an exciting game. Absolutely. So I'm, I say bring it on. I say bring on Glennon's Revenge. Uh, I still think Tampa Bay are going to win because um, I just have, mm. don't have faith in that Chicago defensive backfield. But this could be a lot mm. tighter and a lot more exciting than we initially thought. Oh, big time. Uh, Minnesota-Pittsburgh. We've taken Pittsburgh across the board. Why is that fits? Yeah, I think we all have a lot more faith in Pittsburgh's organization. I think we just can expect them to win. Minnesota showed some good stuff in week one against New Orleans, but I think the real test of that offensive line, which is still a bit big ship, will be against a good defense like Pittsburgh. If they can pass this test, I think Minnesota will be moving up a lot of boards, but for now I think we'll edge with the with the known entity in Pittsburgh. Yeah, next up we've got Arizona at Indianapolis. I was like, this might be the worst game of the week. Uh, we've gone for Arizona across the board. Do you know why? Because did you fucking see Indianapolis last week? <laughs> like, seriously, Scott Tolzien. Scott Tolzien. And he wasn't even the worst part. Of, oh, he was close. It might have been actually. Well, the O-line, I mean. The O-line, the O-line was worse. was best. somehow worse. The, the defensive uh, backs were bad. Yeah. Like, T.Y. Hilton had a shit game, even fumbled. Our, Arizona are terrible, but Indianapolis are worse. Yeah. Are, and in fact, no, let's rephrase that. Arizona are terrible. Indianapolis are terrible. Or <laughs> New England's at New Orleans. We've taken New England's across the board. Why is that, Harry? Yeah, well, uh, I think there were a few question marks here uh, earlier. I think those will be removed after the performance the Saints put in on Monday night. Yeah. Um, New England have their problems. If they if Dante Hightower isn't back, they could have a lot more problems. But the Saints' offense just looked lost out there. And you do wonder if, again, they've gone to another season where Sean Payton's like, I should give Drew Brees the ball and let's see what he can do. Mm. And up against defense, like, the, the, these receivers, for all their hype, struggled a bit against Minnesota's DBs. Uh, it's not like New England have, have bad DBs. The Saints' O-line looked ropey, so even New England's poor pass rush might be able to get something going there. They struggled massively to get the run game going, despite... Uh, one of the funniest... I'm sorry, I need to chat this up. Did you see Adrian Peterson's first carry was for nine yards, right? And then his second carry was for a loss of half a yard and they gave him a first down. 
Oh, for God. The opening drive of the game actually hilarious. Like, I, I remember but, just like how happy the defense was that they held him to such a small yeah. amount and they were chatting about it afterwards and there was lots of shots to the sideline of unhappy looking Adrian Peterson. Absolutely. But this is the thing the Saints didn't let themselves get into a rhythm. They were rotating running backs way too frequently and they struggled mm-hmm. to let any of the three of them actually find a groove. Well, until the second and half and then they see. let the young guy go at it quite a bit, didn't they? Uh, yeah, but but the point is that they still didn't. Like, none of there, was, there wasn't really a, a standout performer there, right? Mm. So. You are cons- again, and it just comes to me that right now, Sean Payton's coaching has been stale for a while and remains stale. They're relying on Drew Brees to do it a lot. Ted Ginn does not look particularly good. Other than Michael Thomas, uh, it's hard to see the threat. We saw Kobe Fleener get hyper-involved at points last night because there were simply no other, other, other options. So I just think New England are going to be able to shut down, uh, shut them down, basically. No, fair enough. Uh, Cleveland at Baltimore. Oh, their defense is trash. Yeah, that's true. Cleveland at Baltimore, the truly the metapod versus metapod of this week's games. Uh, defense uses Harden. Their defense also uses Harden. It's so tough. Uh, we've taken Baltimore across the board here. Why is that, Fitz? Yeah, I think we, we saw in week one that that Baltimore defense has out of nowhere really turned into like a, a legitimately like potential number one defense in the NFL. Uh, and, and by shooting at Cincinnati, even though Cincinnati aren't, aren't amazing. Uh, I think Cleveland, they looked good, but I think against that defense, I think the Sean Kaiser's like, rookiness will probably show up in a big way. Yeah, that's it. Uh, Philly coming to Kansas City. They picked this as my game of the week because I had to pick it the last second. I was like, this will actually be a fun <laughs> one. Uh, Philly looked a lot better than we were expecting them to look uh, last week. Their offense seemed to be firing quite well. Defense looked a lot stronger than I was expecting. Pass rush looked stronger than I was expecting. Uh, Kansas City obviously coming off a big win. They've got the home advantage. This is the home Retire or the home start of the season after a big result against New England, so I imagine they're going to be up. Philly looked like a team that will probably like give us some interesting looks, give us some interesting pressures. It'll be a good one for us to actually see what our defensive formations and structures, how they're going to change with the with the lack of Eric Berry, how we're going to adjust to them. Um, I just, I honestly think this is going to be a very enjoyable game. Like this is if especially if the Kansas City offense keeps looking anything like it did the last time around. Now, if we revert back to this, if, if, if this becomes like some heavily defensive twelve to nine <laughs> game, I think I'll be a bit confused and a bit scared. Think like has Andy Reid used up ninety percent of his playbook already? <laughs> but uh, we'll see. We'll see. It's also there's kind of a little bit like uh, like taking the taking the younger brother out because because uh, there's so much connection in the Philly coaching to the Kansas City coach. I think that if this is the Kansas City offense has turned a corner and this is the end of Andy Reid's evolution of the West Coast system to be like this one day can all be yours uh, kind of scenario but yeah Kansas City across the board in that one uh, we got Tennessee at Jacksonville uh, we're going to you Harry on this one we've got Tennessee across the board yeah uh, this is going to be an interesting game but I think as much as what we saw some huge plays from Jacksonville's defense um, on Sunday a lot of that was due to the absolute lack of quality on Houston's side. Was it, and wasn't 14 points off two runs of the same play at separate times? Yeah, and, and their offense was awful. Mm. Uh, Tennessee lost to Oakland, which uh, I expect to happen, but um, looked okay in defeat. Um, some some weird decisions, like the initial uh, onside kick to start the season was okay, bold move. Mm. Um, but I, I think we saw enough from Tennessee to indicate that uh, Mariola still has a good enough connection with his receivers, that the run game, despite not being at its best, is still they decent enough. They need to lean on a little bit more. Yeah, they did. And they were playing from behind a lot in that game, yeah. so they didn't. But we saw um, this really promising play from the, the young guy, uh, Corey Davis. Um, Delaney Walker still looks like he's got it, despite his age. Mm-hmm. They should be able to move the ball on Jacksonville much, much more easily than, than Houston did. And I just don't trust this. Like, unless... It's going to be like that, that that Bears team from a few years ago or that Kansas City team from a few years ago. Unless this team can keep scoring, like, two pick sixes a game, yeah. they're really going to struggle to score points offensively. No, um, and I think Tennessee's defensive line is is good enough to mm-hmm. make Fournette again have to have about fifty carries, basically. So yeah. he's Leonard Fournette is going to die after week six. Like he, he like I don't know what they're doing, but yeah, so having having already won someone a PPR championship, yeah, exactly. Uh, so Tennessee, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Next up, we got New York Jets at Oakland. We've got Oakland across the board because the Jets are a dumpster fire. Uh, Miami at LA Chargers. Uh, I've gone for Miami. Fitz, you've gone LA, and Harry, you've gone LA. So uh, Fitz, why LA? Yeah, so we saw from the Chargers. An interesting game against Denver, but they looked good despite the fact that the defense uh, from Denver really dominated them for most of the game. But they showed once again they can come back that Philip Rivers hasn't lost it, uh, although the young kicker uh, probably needs to get it. Uh, a bad start for him. So I think like the Chargers, 
we know the talent. Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa looked absolutely ferocious against that Denver offensive line. And I think overall, like the defense will be good enough for the Chargers to overwhelm a Miami line that's still probably finding its identity. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go say with the backing the unknown for the crack because if the Chargers can't get it going against the Denver guys, I'm not all that... I'm not filled with... Like, I know they played okay, but they didn't play great. I'm going to go the unknown, bit of smoking Jay, bit of hurling it around. There's no tape to go on him. Uh, should be should be a good crack. I, I'd imagine this is going to be a game rife with error, but I think it'll be fun, and I'm just going to take Miami because, do you know what? I support the people who had to go through those horrible things, unlike you dickheads. They had to go through a storm, so we're going to let them beat the Chargers because the Chargers can suck it as well. Dallas at Denver, we got... I've gone Dallas, Fitz has gone Denver, and Harry has gone Dallas. So, Harry, why Dallas? Yeah, like I mean, we, we saw some pretty solid defense from Denver uh, against against the Chargers, but um, I just have a lot of faith in this Dallas team. I think that you're not going to get the same kind of pressure and penetration against that O-line that we've, we saw um, the Broncos were able to get against uh, against LA. And we have to remember, like, the Broncos were very lucky. It was a last-second blocked field goal mm. that, that got them ultimately got them the win there. Um, Dallas, to me, are, for all their problems on defense, I don't know if Trevor Simeon is necessarily the guy to uh, exploit that. Um, Denver's offense still looked a little bit not great against LA yeah. so I just think Dallas are overall a better team here and they should be able to go into mile high and come away with the, come away with the win yeah. what about yourself Fitz why Denver uh, I have Denver primarily because I think one I think Trevor Simeon actually looked pretty good like they were up by a fair amount and the offensive line didn't look like complete dog shit and while Dallas did manage to do decent against the Giants the Giants offensive line is absolute dog shit I think if the Denver line and Trevor Simeon look as good as they were against the Chargers, I think they can put up points. And that Dallas defense looked doesn't look good, especially with Orlando Scandrick, another loss in that secondary adding to that. Uh, so like, this is probably going to be a close enough game. I think both these sides have obvious weaknesses. But I think Denver, to me, kind of looked like a side that can grind out wins this season. So I'm going to trust them here at home in mile high to get it done. Fair enough. Uh, speaking of bad offensive lines, San Francisco take on Seattle. Uh, we've gone Seattle across the board in this one. Uh, pretty obvious why Seattle are the better team, but I am currently predicting uh, about 26 sacks for the San Francisco defense in this game alone. <laughs> Uh, there's going to be 20 against Brian Hoyer as well. Yeah, yeah like this is, this, 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 is going to, this is going to challenge the Houston at Cincy game for the uh, most offensive points scored, I think. It'll be interesting. Um, but yeah, Seattle across the board, they're a much better team. This is in division, like, yeah. Uh, next up, Washington, uh, the LA Rams. We've all gone Rams in this one. Why is that, Harry? Yeah, I mean, the Rams' defense, even without Aaron Donald, looked um, pretty good, although Scott Tolzien. But... We said it before the season. When things start to go wrong in Washington, the wheels fall off. What happened as soon as things started to go wrong against Philly, the wheels fell off in Washington. Kirk Cousins doesn't look like he's in sync with any of his receivers. Like, what about the new guy Terrell Pryor? He doesn't look like he's in sync with fucking Jameson Crowder and Jordan Reed. Like, yeah. this team is... Uh, Washington are just a mess coming out of this game, and they're going to continue to be a mess. And they're going to go to LA and play against the Wade Phillips defense. Like, that is... Nah, that's just yeah. a bad look. There's going to be a lot of sacks in this game as well. I'm starting to like this Rams team a little bit. The more, more I thought back to things like, look, it was messy. They're playing a shitty opponent, but like that's a good defense, and they got some nice bits going on offense. Like I don't think they're going to do great, but they're definitely going to be significantly more entertaining to watch than they were for the last <laughs> several years. Eight and eight. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe even nine and Whoa. seven. Whoa. Next up, we got Green Bay at Atlanta, which uh, on paper at least would probably suggest to maybe be the highest scoring one that we'll see outside of maybe Philly KC. I've gone Green Bay, Fitz has gone Atlanta, and Harry has gone Green Bay. Fitz, outside of uh, revenge fantasies, why have you gone for Atlanta here? <laughs> yeah, so like, this is my pick of the week. Uh, so last week I went for the Arizona-Detroit game. That didn't go particularly well. Uh, but, like, my assessment of those teams is what I kind of expected. They're both teams that could sneak into the playoffs. Arizona, big question marks now with Dave Johnson out. Uh, but like this week, we're moving up a weight class. We're moving into two genuine contenders in the NFC. Uh, what we saw from Green Bay is a really improved-looking defense, but we have major question marks over whether that was due to you know a shitty offensive line or because they do genuinely have the talent now. And you know, obviously, that like defensive line performance covered up whether that secondary is really where we thought it might be at. They've obviously made a lot of changes, so it hasn't really been tested yet. And then the point where Seattle did get going, the, like, the secondary did seem to kind of lose their uh, coverage quite easily. 
Um, and then Atlanta, we have a really questionable uh, case against the Chicago Bears, where they looked really up against it against the defense, which we, like, we think is good, but isn't great. Uh, and we're kind of worrying whether this Steve Sarkeesian offensive uh, mindset or philosophy really worked. It worked for Austin Hooper, apparently, but perhaps for everyone else. Um, so, like, we have Green Bay coming off a really good win, but we're not really sure how much to pay into it. And Atlanta, uh, a less good, like, you know, kind of coming off a bad win, but they got the win, and we do know that there's so much talent on offense, surely it'll start clicking. I think this is a really fascinating game to kind of get a read on, like, what we actually, like, I think this will be a more genuine assessment of where these two teams are going up against each other and I think Atlanta for me I still have a lot of faith that our offense when it gets going can rip up a secondary like Green Bay's if Green Bay can get the same pressure that's that's good I think Atlanta's offensive line based on what we saw last year should be good enough to hold up against a Green Bay defense which I don't think quite has it I think Aaron Rodgers will do, do good things but even at the end of last week he's always a bit dinged up that gives me a few things to pause but it should be a good game uh, and it should be high scoring game hopefully uh, and I'm going to edit to Atlanta due to the home advantage and the fact that I think that offense will come good eventually and tear up a Green Bay defense which I think has good pieces but isn't quite there uh, at the elite level at this point maybe at the end of the season they might be a bit uh, might have got there uh, so yeah go Atlanta Fair enough and next up our last game of the week we've got Detroit at New York Giants I'm toying away with changing this to the last second as well uh, we've gone Detroit across the board uh, this for me, anyway, it's not so much a reflection of my belief in Detroit as it is my belief in just how abjectly terrible mm. the New York Giants looked the last day. We don't know if Odell will be back. I don't know if Odell being there would make... I think it would make a difference, but I don't think it would make that much of a difference to how shitty they looked uh, in the game against against Dallas there. Um, this is a defense that's meant to do well, but like Detroit's line, it was okay. Like They've got enough weapons they can try and move out of it quickly. I just... yeah. I'm like I'm, I'm kind of hoping the Giants show me something here because I'd rather them be a good team than have to watch them in prime time or on television <laughs> so fucking many times and then just be dog shit again. I don't know how because I don't know who the fuck's going to catch them all and score for them. But look, it's done. It's done. Hey, I've gone for the name, Giants. Name a running back on the New York Giants. Paul Perkins. Yeah, name a running back who isn't shit on the New York Giants. Uh, <laughs> ah, trick question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, so that's the games this week. Uh, good stuff. So, uh, any other scandal for the rest of the week with yourselves, lads? Any plans? I uh, know we got the uh, the old thirtieth uh, birthday party for Graham on the weekend. Yeah, on Friday. So that should be a good crack uh, down in uh, down in Ranala. Uh, like I said, guys, thanks very much for your question. I think keep them coming in. Get us on the email, Twitter, Pornhub, where you'll find all of your fidget spinner <laughs> needs. Apparently, uh, get us on Etsy if you want to get us to just like say things at crochet. I believe that's what we're marketing on there at the moment. Uh, let's see now. We need to. We'll, we'll expand our uh, expand our marketing now. Uh, Go to audible.com. I think they do books. <laughs> <laughs> what What do you call it? Mail Kimp? What? No, it's a, it's a mail service for uh, leatherware. But yeah, so that'll wrap us up for today. Like I say, keep the questions coming in to the things that actually exist. I really hope some of those other things end up existing at some point. And I really hope some of them don't. That's a bye from myself, bye from Harry. Goodbye. Bye from Ronan. Bye. This has been all four quarters. Thanks very much for listening. We'll chat to you next week.